Amen. I'm so fortunate over this past uh, several months, I've had the opportunity to be able to share with you stories from our pilgrimage to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, which took place uh, in this past fall, uh, late September, early October. Because as we go throughout the liturgical year, we hear stories from the New Testament and from the Gospels that uh, remind us of the places that we visited during that really uh, impactful trip that we all took to Israel. And once again, we come across one of these stories, and that story is the miracle which took place at the wedding uh, at Cana in Galilee. This wonderful event, this very interesting vignette, this short story that takes place at an interesting point in Christ's life. Um, And I I think, first of all, it was an amazing experience to visit this place in person. Um, Among other places in that region, this particular place has such great meaning for us as Christians, and particularly for those of us that are married, uh, because it was in this place and in this location that Jesus Christ established the institution, blessed the institution of marriage within a Christian context. And uh, one of the wonderful things that we were able to do there is for the, wedding, the, the married couples that were present, we renewed their vows in this site. It was a, a beautiful experience for all of us who are gathered here. I see Jack and Marie, they were part of that ceremony on that occasion. And we're very fortunate to have uh, shared that moment together. However, the miracle that took place at the wedding in Cana of Galilee has even an even greater significance beyond the establishment of the sacrament of marriage within a Christian context. It means a great deal to us. Despite this, however, because of its interesting and unique uh, character as a story from the Gospels, as a miracle that Christ uh, did during his life, the first miracle that he did during his life and uh, his ministry here on earth, it stands out to many people who hear this story. Uh, I shared just a moment ago in my Armenian uh, message that uh, I recently saw a video on YouTube. Uh, It was a very interesting video. It was kind of a precursor to a Bible study that was being hosted by another church. And in it, they were interviewing people on the street, asking them who they thought Jesus Christ was. Some people responded saying, well, Jesus Christ is God. Some people said, uh, well, he was probably a guy who lived a long time ago. They had various answers about who they thought Jesus Christ was. I remember from this uh, series of interviews, somebody responded, oh, Jesus Christ, he was this guy, uh, you know, he had a glass of water one day, and he switched it with a glass of wine, and he tricked some people, and all of a sudden they thought he was a miracle worker, and next thing you know it, you know, there's a religion around him. This is the way some people think about this miracle because of its characteristic. It seems kind of like a trick in a way. He turned water into wine. Some people imagine it in their minds that way, that somebody handed him a cup, switcheroo, and they get handed back another cup that has wine in it. And all of a sudden, this is supposed to become a miracle. But what's fascinating about this particular miracle is it means so much more. The depth, the uh, internal structure of the story and the miracle itself, in and of itself, it explains so much of who Christ was and what his mission was for uh, you know, his gift of his life that was given to us by, Jesus, by God. And I want to share with you some of those very special aspects of why this miracle was symbolic in nature and theological as we find it in the Gospel of John. First and foremost, the water that was transformed by Jesus Christ was not simply water. It was water, according to the Gospel, which you can read in the bulletin, which you uh, received today as you came in. It was water which was reserved for spiritual purification according to the rites of the Old Testament. 
It was liturgical water. It was not any water that had been collected from anywhere. It was being saved for a specific purpose, and that purpose was to be used in the purification rituals of the Jewish people according to the Old Testament. In transforming this water to wine, Christ is telling us about the transformation of our covenant with God which is about to take place. That the old rules, the old ways by which we we become clean are going to pass away. Instead, we'll have a new means by which to receive salvation and to be cleansed of our sins. And that means will be the blood of Jesus Christ. The wine that we receive each and every time we participate in the divine liturgy. That blessed and that cleaning wine as we refer to it in the divine liturgy. Makrich ayun the cleaning blood of Jesus Christ. Not only was this the case, but also the number of jars which were transformed into wine were very significant. There were seven cisterns. We can't call them jars. Cisterns, very large cisterns, which were transformed into wine by Jesus Christ. The number seven has very deep, important significance to Christians and even to us as Armenians. The number seven, according to an ancient way of thinking, was uh, the number of perfection. There are seven days in the week. When the seventh day was achieved, we had achieved perfection. In fact, if you look at the Armenian alphabet, the seventh letter is E, the letter which you find on top of the holy altar at this moment. And it's a letter which in and of itself means God. This one letter, which is the seventh letter in the Armenian alphabet, means God. Because in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when Moses speaks to God, God says, I am he who is. And the letter E is not only a letter, but it's actually a word that means he, she, it is. And that is why it's the seventh letter in the alphabet. And that's why there were seven cisterns that were transformed miraculously by Jesus Christ. Again, a deeper internal uh, symbol which uh, tells us that Christ is here to help us achieve perfection. The amount of wine in and of itself was also important. And this is all found in the gospel. The party went from having no wine at all to having seven gigantic cisterns transformed. They went from having no wine to having 120 to 180 gallons of wine. This was not a cup or a jug or a bucket or a bottle. This was 180 gallons of wine that were all of a sudden available to all of these people. This image that is immediately presented to us is one of superabundance, much more than we actually need. It is hard to imagine that the people who were gathered at this wedding celebration would have been able to actually consume 180 gallons of wine during that period of time. They went from having nothing to having much more than they would ever need. This in and of itself is an important symbol of what Christ's Uh, goal was, what his mission was here on earth. He came to provide great abundance to all of us. Now there are those who are preaching about prosperity in the Christian community and they will refer to this as an example of how Christ wants us to be prosperous. I refer to a wonderful quote by C.S. Lewis when he said, it is our mission in this life to do what is good and if if success comes from that, then so be it. 
the abundance that Christ is uh, reaching out from the gospel and conveying to us through this miracle, the abundance is an abundance of peace, an abundance of blessing, an abundance of spiritual fulfillment which is available to us when we are able to consume the gospels like the bread of life that it was meant to be. This is the change which took place through the miracle at the Cana of Galilee. This is the symbol which is communicated to those who were in attendance to Christ's disciples and also to us here today. Finally, the wedding at Cana in Galilee is a miracle, but it's also a miracle of smallness in context that creates a blueprint for us in our own lives and challenges that we have to face. How often are we like Christ's mother, Mary, in our lives? How often do we feel like we're presented with a problem that we ourselves are not capable of solving? When they approached her, the organizers of this wedding, the hosts, and they said, can you please do something? What was she able to do at that moment? There was no Costco down the street that she was going to go and buy bulk amounts of wine to celebrate this wedding. There was nothing in her capability that would have solved this problem. And where did she turn? She turned to Jesus Christ. This is the blueprint of the wedding at the Cana of Galilee. That when we're presented with a problem that we are not capable of resolving on our own, which happens on a regular basis in all of our lives because we are finite people with finite capabilities and finite time, when we're presented with these sorts of issues, we turn to Christ. When we feel as though our prayer is not being answered, we insist. We humble ourselves. We turn to Mary and we ask her to intercede on our behalf. And what does Mary say when Christ concedes to all of those who were gathered there? When Christ says, bring me the cisterns, bring me the jugs, so that I can do what needs to be done. Mary turns to the people and says, do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. When we're presented with these challenges in our lives, we turn to Christ, we turn to the saints, we turn to Mary, Mother of God, the Holy Virgin. They are ready to respond to our call. However, we must remember the words of St. Mary. Do what he says. We must also follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. If we should expect to receive the abundance which he has displayed during this one event in the New Testament. We will receive by his love and his mercy for all of us, his graces and his blessings and his great abundance when we are prepared to be loyal and to be humble in our own lives.